Welcome back to another episode of Fret Buzz the Podcast. Hi, I'm Aaron Setchik, and every week together with my co-host Joe McMurray, we focus on how we musicians and professionals approach our craft, giving insight to help us all become more informed and better musicians. Let me first start off by saying this episode is vocal gold. <laughs> There is so much information jam-packed in this episode, it's amazing. If you want to improve your vocals, this is the episode to listen to. Definitely be sure to check out Where the Blue Begins by Darden Purcell, as well as her husband has just released a CD called Symmetricity by Sean Purcell. And quickly before we start the show, I am going to ask two small favors. Head on over to YouTube and give us a subscribe, and head on over to iTunes and give us a review. And that's it. Let's jump into part two with Darden Purcell on Fret Buzz, the podcast. There's that, and then I've also tried to work with the solo singers in the studio as well, too, as learning instrumental solos and putting their own scat syllables over those solos as well, too. And that's, we're going to be getting, uh, doing a lot of that this year because <laughs> that's going to challenge them orally to number one, learn the solo. And now number two, you've got to come up with what's comfortable syllable wise in your mouth for you to do the solo. And by the way, you have to try to work it at every single tempo, slow tempo and then faster tempos too, just to make sure that do I really have this, the muscle memory in my mouth. Right. Right. I remember when I was back at Penn State that I took a, a linguistics class and wow. all of this stuff, you know, is incorporated in terms of how, where your tongue is and how you mouth certain words. And I'm just thinking about, you know, speed and how when you're singing certain lines in 16ths or trying to match a timbre or something like that, that, that's all part of using your mouth as an instrument and knowing exactly how it works. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's something that I've struggled with quite a bit because I have a little bit of a list. And so throughout my life, I've never been able to, or I've never really gone to a speech pathologist, but I do have a little bit of a list. And so these, these horn lines, I think I really like working those lines or the guitar lines because I, it really works. It, it challenges it. And, to, and that diction with singers is so important. Yeah. And that's probably one of the good things about scat singing. There's a lot of good things about improvisation as well too. But for a lot of singers, Boy, they come and sing in some pretty jacked up scat syllables. It's all ba 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 ba. It's all wide mouth like singer lines versus more horn lines, which is more kind of consonant based, I guess. And that, of course, works addiction. So we we start to see who has issues with R's, who has issues with L's, who has an issue with an S. You know, we start to kind of see that more. Interesting. So there are key places within any singer's range that they may have issues with. Or just parts of their diction. Absolutely. Some people are very lucky. They come in and it's fine. Everything's working fine. But we have certain kind of um, exercises we can work on that shows what uh, consonants are getting tripped up on a little bit more than others. And every single one is different. Do you find that there is an area that more students fall into? No, I haven't found that yet. Okay. So I haven't found that yet. Yeah, because I... I think I would have thought it would have been more S's because that's what I concentrate on so much. Right. But no, that's not the case. A lot of my singers are just fine with their S's. It's other other consonants that they just haven't quite worked on yet, you know? Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's kind of crazy. It's a little wacky. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, I mean – 
obviously there are millions and millions of different vocals out there <laughs> and each one of us is unique in our own way mm -hmm. i'm sure you, you as vocal teachers you come across a lot of a lot of differences and a lot of things that that just kind of like oh okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would say, oh, okay, is a good, a good yeah. way to do it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're kind of, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, singing is so, it's so, um, I, I don't want to say it's the most personal musical thing that you can do, but it is so personal because yeah. um, it's our voice was given to us. You know, it's, we, we can't change it. We can make it better, but we cannot change the voice that was given to us. And so much of it is just based on our own anatomy. You know, the structure of our face, that plays into uh, it quite a bit. Um, also, and I was just at the camp, I was talking to some singers about this too, is that we begin singing before we begin speaking. So, you know, when we're babies, we're not having conversations. We're kind of coo and ah, cooing and, you know, and then at that time also we learn how to speak by mimicking. We're mimicking the people around us. So now we're picking up habits from very, very early on that as soon as you get into voice lessons, you usually have to start adjusting these habits, you know, because maybe it, it's fine for regular speech, but it's not necessarily fine for maybe vocals and what we want to do. And so with a lot of the singers, when they come in, one of the analogies I use is when you listen to the news, newscasters have a very certain voice. And it's a voice that you cannot tell what part of the country or world they're from, right? It's this very kind of neutral sounding voice because they only want you to hear the story. They don't really want you to hear their voice. Mm. So that's what we kind of need to get with some of the young singers as well, too, is that we, you know, this... Obviously, your voice is going to be um, individualized to you because it's your tone and it's your timbre. But the way you're shaping these words needs to make sense to the audience. Mm -hmm. And and so a lot of them come in listening to some of the pop singers now that are just doing some, I'll just say, interesting things with the way that they are forming words. And it's because they're trying to create their own sound, unique sound with forming this word. My personal approach is... I want the word to sound as natural as possible because then your inherent natural beauty of your voice comes through rather than I'm singing 18 different syllables through this one word to make it sound unique. Mm. Or like I had a singer this year. <laughs> this is great. He's wonderful. He's an incredible singer, really incredible natural talent. And there's this one part in the song and he's singing in a British accent. And I stopped him and I'm like, do you know, do you, is there a reason why you're singing with this accent? And, and he said, well, I, I kind of like it. I'm like, well, are you British? He says, no. I'm like, so then why are you singing with a British accent? I, I didn't understand that. I'm like, I know that that's like a big thing now, but I'm like, but you're not British. So doesn't that seem a little weird to you? Like, it seems to me a little fake sort of, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this, you know, and even with him too, I'm like, even a lot of the, the British singers, especially early on when I was listening to them, they don't sound British. They sounded like they, they just didn't sound like they were from that at all. So that's, it's an interesting time. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I know the, I mean, you say that, I, I think of Green Day right away. Um, but I mean, I, I even now I know there's a, a couple people or well, this one specific person that I know that does throw these syllables into their speech. And I'm like, but that's not 
that's not natural. I can tell that you're not not that's that you're you're trying to do something different. And although that's kind of cool, at the same time, that's not that's not really who you are. <laughs> exactly. I know it's affected. Yeah. You know, it's an affected approach. It's not natural. It's your I don't know. I just, for me, I think the most natural approach is the best. And like I said, especially for the singers, just let the beauty of your own voice speak for itself. You're kind of covering it up. You're masking it up with all the stuff you think you need to do when it's really just, just sing and people are, are going to like it or not like it. You know? Yeah. You, you had mentioned a little bit uh, ago about habits. Could you talk to us a little bit about bad habits? Certainly. Yes, I can. <laughs> I think that would be, we work on a lot. Yeah, I think that would be very beneficial for a lot of people because I, I know it's very, um, I, you see things like, you know, American Idol and whatnot like that. And I always point out to a bunch of people that, you know, you have literally tens of thousands of people applying for the show and it always comes down to like the top five. Right. Which shows you that there are so many people out there who think they can sing, oh, yeah. but they really can't. But on the other side of that, what does that actually mean in terms of people who think they can sing and they can't? Because you have the classics like Bob Dylan or any one of these other guys that's, that people say, eh, they're, right. you know, so it, it is, it's this gray area that we kind of talk about within music is, is, <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Um, well, I'm not even going to start with talking about the competition shows. <laughs> so, cause that's another whole podcast. Um, <laughs> and I like them and I don't like them right. at the same time. Um, so we'll just kind of move on to the, the, I guess the vocal technique part of it. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of people out there who have had incredible uh, careers and are still out there performing and have have their own special kind of vocal technique and that works for them. But the reason why it worked for them is they had a lot of other things together at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like a Bob Dylan, you know, he could play, he could write songs. And so that he was kind of the whole package or is the whole package that goes for a lot of them. For some of these singers going on these competition shows, they've got one thing. They've got that one thing and that's their voice. And so that's why it's even harder for them because they're not songwriters. They're not, playing they're not you know they don't have other things that can help accent or help them um one of the things that's really drives me crazy right now with singers and it's not their fault because they don't even know they're doing it but it's speaking on the vocal fry and this is something that has happened because a lot of the reality shows i feel out there that every single girl on a reality show talks like this she like talks really low because it's supposed to sound like really casual and laid back. Like I'm so like not into this conversation. So did you hear how low in the voice that was? So they're doing that. And that's one of the worst things that you can do as a singer, or even as a speaker is speak so low in your voice like that. So even with some of my young singers that come in, they're speaking on their vocal fry and and then they're singing on their vocal fry as well too. I don't think that's my phone. I'm sorry. I, can't get it to stop. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> my phone's on airplane mode, but no, I loved it. I was like, my computer. Oh, what I'm saying is like, ding, <laughs> ding, another good comment. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're speaking on their vocal fry, and then they start singing on their vocal fry because they don't even realize they're doing it. Um, and that's just that's just a big no-no. You can't, you should not do that as well. My my big goal with these singers is to try to teach them how to speak and sing healthily so they can do it for decades. That's that's my huge thing. So with the vocal fry, I tell quite a few of the young girls, sometimes even young guys, although I find it's more of the young females because they want to sound older and maybe sexier. I think that's what's happened with the fry is that they, they don't want to have light girly voices. They want to have this lower voice and it's just destroying the chords. So I basically just tell them you need to speak on pitch. So if I were talking right now in my regular voice, it would probably be like this, which is kind of monotone and low in my range. So when I speak, I add a little bit more pitch to it. It's a little bit more higher up. And I'm not really thinking about doing it on purpose. I'm just thinking, I want to speak on a tone. I just, I don't want to let it fall flat. That's one thing. The vocal fry is a big thing. And you can really hear it. As soon as you start hearing it, you're going to hear it all over television. I can't stand it. On some of these news shows, you have these young female broadcasters. One, every time, single time she comes on, I have to turn it off because I'm <laughs> you are, your career is going to be done in about 10 years because of your, your voice. And it's almost to the point where I'm like, I think she should go see someone. Right. And because it's so it's so hard to listen to. It's got to be hard for her after a while. Scooping is a big thing. Scooping is a habit that happens all the time. Um, and it's a lot of it is thought of as a stylistic element where they're thinking, oh, this is cool. I'm going to do this, you know, and it's, it's going to make this one word or line <laughs> sound really cool. All it really does is just accentuate the fact that you can't sing in tune that you're not hitting the note where you need to hit the note. So you're kind of sliding up to it, right? And then what happens is that people start doing it again and again and again, and then it's just kind of a mess. You know, after a while, you I have a hard time listening to the story because I, all I can hear is a scooping in every single word. Um, Fall-offs is another thing, that they'll get to the end of a word and uh, kind of fall off the line. Again, it's... These are all what I call stylizations. So these are all stylings that I think vocalists do because they want to sound a certain way and they just don't really realize that they don't, they just don't need it. They don't need it at all. Just sing. A lot of times what you can do is you can sing a melody just on like a, a, a lip trill and that kind of helps to solidify the pitch um, and the intonation of the line as well too. All those like little habits and stylizations really obscure the fact of, how well are you singing in tune and how well are you making these words sound? And a lot of times when you can strip away all of that, that's when you get down to intonation. How are you forming the words? Does it make sense the way you're forming the words? Are you singing in a British accent? That does not make sense because you're not British. Um, you know, just little, little things like that. And then what I tell them all too, I'm like, these are not other than the vocal fry. I'm like, these are not horrible habits. These are not things that, you can never do again, but you need to be conscious that you're doing them. And then you need to do it where it makes sense. And then you have control over it and it does not have control over you. And that's what a lot of, I mean, you can do this on every single instrument. 
you know, no matter what, we have certain things that we can control and other things that we don't even realize we're doing because it's controlling us. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was just going to reiterate is, is that most of the time, most of the time, you have no idea that you're doing it. Right. Unless somebody points it out to you, like you were talking about the dipping thing. I was guilty of that probably 10 years ago until the director at the point at the time actually came up to me and said, he was laughing at me. And I was like, why are you laughing? Because every week when you sing that same song, I hear you dip that note. And I was like, I had no. And since that's happened, I've been very conscious of how I approach. Usually it would happen at the end of phrases. Mm-hmm. So I've always just been conscious of that now. But like you said, it, it, it's not something that you would know unless somebody approaches you. And for right. millions of people out there who are just singing on a day-to-day basis, or maybe it's a guitar singer-songwriter who doesn't take vocal lessons, that's not something that they're, that they're thinking about. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's for all musicians, I, I really do. That's why I'm kind of asking is, is because I think there's a lot of people out there who don't take a vocal lesson. Um, who would benefit tons from it. Just maybe sign up for a month's worth of vocal lessons, find out where your range is, and kind of see where the points of, you know, correction that you need, would need to make to kind of make you that better singer so people can uh, kind of identify with you a little bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to me, the where you can really tell all of that, like you said, if somebody tells you that, the recordings. As soon as you hear yourself back in a recording, I can pick out about five things that I've done that I'm like, ooh, I got to not do that. (laughs) Next time I'm not doing that so much. But yeah, no, it's, I think, I think everyone can benefit from lessons really on any instrument. I think definitely I'm just seeing this a lot more. And I think it's because of the pop music, the, this fry and certain, um, the pop music of today, the certain, elements that are being used for style, I guess, that um, that I, I do think it would really benefit some of these young singers to get in early and see what's happening. I feel like right now there's a lot of unhealthy singing going on. There's a lot of pushing. There's a lot of bad keys. And I think we're also kind of in an era where, which kind of scares me a little bit for young people, where we don't expect people to have decade-long careers. Um, artists now I feel are a little bit more expendable. Mm. And I think part of it is in my mind, because of these competition shows, every single year, we just start the cycle over again. We create a star, bam, the star gets a record deal. The next year, the record deal is gone. Bam, we're on to the next show and the next round of people and the next round of people. We've kind of created this expendable society. And, and part of that that goes with that is the music that some of these artists now have to perform or have to sing after a while, you know, you start hearing about people that have to cancel dates on their tours because they've got vocal issues. They've got, you know, just they're just being pushed in a certain way because the timeline of their career is probably going to be so much shorter. Which when you look at some of the other singers, even when you look at Whitney Houston, I don't know if you guys were Whitney Houston fans, but yeah, yeah me too. I mean, I grew up on her. It's like that's the her yeah. Star Spangled Banner is still the best national anthem, I think, ever sung. And, you know, she passed away when she was 48 years old. And if you listen to her voice from early career to 48, that was a big, that was a big difference. Now, granted, that was still about probably 30 years of singing that she was able to do. But that was, she was doing some hard singing there, a lot of belting. And that was at the time when there was a lot of really strong singers out there, Shaka Khan and 
Whitney and Celine Dion and right, you know, these people that were just powerful vocal powerhouses, you know, that lasted decades. Shaka's still singing, Celine's still singing, and I still heard her. She sounds incredible still. Um, but it was a different time, you know, and now it's it's just, it's different. And I think singers have to be careful. And that's why with my singers, I tell them, I'm like, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm not trying to say that you don't sound good. I'm just saying that if we can adjust some of these things that you're doing, you're going to be able to sing for way longer than you might even want to. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the dangers of singing wrong. I think that's not even something people even comprehend <laughs> is that if you just the fact that you know if i sing wrong that's not even well, it's just singing how can you right. sing wrong <laughs> right I, it, there is potential for some real damage i there was a guy in my hometown who sang the local bar scene and i don't know if he still does it or not and we're talking 40 plus years of doing just this thing where you know he would when he started off his career he had a decent voice but he never took a vocal lesson and just pushed himself night after night after night and now you don't even really recognize a voice because that's he didn't <laughs> didn't do what you're supposed to do i mean there was no warm-ups involved there were no exercises involved there was no well there's no concentration on how to actually sing right so yeah, that there's a real, you know, you can do some big damage. Right. Well, and another thing I tell all my students is we're not just singers, we're vocal athletes. We're vocal athletes. All players on any instrument is an athlete. You know, there is a certain physicality to what we're doing as well as of course the intellect and the emotional aspect. But there's every single any single player in music, they're they're an athlete of some point. And everything we're doing is based on muscles, right? Every single thing is based on muscles. That's why guitarists can get tendonitis and vocalists have issues because the muscles start to break down after a while. And so the earlier that you can start to preserve and find techniques and the proper way to do it to help your muscles, it's just better in the long run, you know? And for these singers too, I mean, vocal, we, we are at a little bit of a detriment. I think every single person is on their instrument. Even you look at brass players, brass players by the end of their life, they're not going to be playing as high as at the beginning of their life, right? That's just not going to happen. The same thing is true with singers. The keys start dropping. You know, I even noticed that um, Celine Dion, I just went to go see her in Vegas. This was like a bucket list dream of mine. And Sean got me tickets for my birthday. And so I got to see Celine. So, and she did saying that my heart will go on from Titanic, the big hit at the end. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it was her when she used to sing it. I can't remember what keys. I think the normal key that was back in the, whenever the movie came out was like E flat. Now she's a half step down from it. Cause I remember hearing it. I'm like, Oh, what's that note? You know? And then I went to the piano and I'm like, ah, she's a half step down. Mm -hmm. Um, but so even with someone like her, who has spent her whole life really taking care of her voice, has the best technique you can imagine, Caesar's Coliseum, when it was built for her, it's like perfectly humidified to make sure that her voice is, it's still the ranges are going to drop as years go because the muscle just breaks down. Also for singers too, there's, there can be bad vocal technique, but then there's just bad living, you know, a lot of vocal damage that's done is not, sometimes it's by singing, a lot of times it's by illness, 
you know, if you get sick. And then let's say you perform while you're sick, that can do some damage. Um, it can be from yelling and screaming. It can be from, I just talked to a, a friend of mine on the phone the other day that was talking about a little vocal glitch, as I like to call it. And she said she did this because she she yelled. There was one day she yelled and she heard it kind of go, oh, and it's now she's got to deal with it for the rest of her life. So, you know, I think people just need to be smart smart about what they're doing and, and honest. I think that's another really important thing. I don't think people are always honest about what's happening because being honest means you have to tackle something that's difficult for you. And, but if, if you do it, you're going to come out much better on the other side. If you let it go, then at some point, I think for all of us, it's just a done deal. You're kind of done. Uh, what do you suggest? Cause I've seen on, actually podcast forums and vocal forums um, in terms of drink uh, like lemon water or coffee or eating an apple beforehand or I've seen all kinds of tricks out there. Uh, what, what, what are your, what are your thoughts and tips? Well, every single person is different, you know, and every single body is different. I, so I can just tell you what works for me. Um, I drink a lot of water. I think a lot of water is good, but water is just good for, us in general, you know, so I'm always telling my students, you need to always have a water bottle with you. I'll go through usually in a day, like a water bottle that has basically three cups. I'll go through like three of them a day. So it's about nine to 12 glasses of water a day. Um, so water's really good. Um, it kind of depends on like the situation right before I sing, I don't have any dairy of any kind. Um, no cheese, no dressing on salads, nothing like that. Cause it just creates phlegm. And so then I spend the whole time like trying to get this phlegm up or down. Mm. Um, I like apples. I like apples a lot. Um, I just like apples to begin with. Uh, I usually eat an apple every single day, but I like it because it fills me up and it doesn't have anything that kind of gunks up the throat. Um, I try not to eat anything acidic to acidity, like um, tomatoes or orange juice, because again, that kind of breaks down the phlegm and then your body's trying to move it in one direction or not. Um, caffeine is not supposed to be good for the voice. So, you know, coffee, anything like that. I'll drink tea, but it's usually decaffeinated tea, like a chamomile tea or a peppermint tea. Mm -hmm. They have some teas out there that are like throat coats and, you know, different kind of um, things that you can use for that. Uh, alcohol is also not supposed to be good for your voice because um, it can be like a drying agent. Same thing with nuts. I typically on every single gig I do, I have a glass of red wine. I like red wine. You know, I feel like it kind of loosens me up a little bit, not necessarily vocally, but mentally, probably it just kind of. <laughs> so that that those are things that work for me. Um, sleep. Sleep yeah. is huge, 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 huge. I cannot stress sleep enough. My students come in. They sound terrible. And the first thing I ask them is, how much sleep did you get last night? Well, I was writing a paper and I got four hours of sleep. Well, that's why, because when you sleep, that your body is regenerating. That is your body's time to heal itself. And if you only give it two hours to heal itself, then it just starts to, again, break down day after day. You're going to get sick because your body just hasn't had enough time to get better. You know, I average eight to 10 hours of sleep every single night. Wow. Oh. I know. <laughs> I'm a baby. Be That's awesome. I love my sleep so much. I love it, love it, love it. And I don't do very well after under seven hours of sleep. I don't I don't do real well. So yeah, sleep's a big thing. 
I know it's crazy, isn't it? Oh, kids just don't allow that. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Well, I am lucky. We do not have children, so we just have our cats in the morning. But yeah, we pretend every night. Oh, that's great. It's glorious. You should try it. <laughs> yeah, I would love to someday. <laughs> 10 hours of sleep would be a oh, phenomenal feeling. Well, when you think about it, I mean, people, when you do get that, when you've been going really hard doing whatever and you finally get that good night's sleep, the feeling that you have in the morning after a good night's sleep, there's nothing better. And that's because your body has told you, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. I've recovered, ready for the next day, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of truth to that. There really is. Yeah. I've, I've found that um, the drinking water thing is, has really, really helped. I, I try to keep in my notebook where I log what I'm doing all day. I keep a tally of, I try to have a glass of water, a pint of water every hour. Yeah. And it, you know, you don't always get that, but you at least strive for that. And sometimes, you know, you just, you do, it feels so much better singing. Um, I've also found I used to my I would pick keys that were too high and I've brought lots of my repertoire down because I play these gigs where, you know, it's three, three and a half hours. Tonight's three hours. Wow. That's the regular the regular length of time for a you know, standard bar gig or live on Atlantic gig or right. the town center stuff they want three hours. And you just can't even if it might sound better a little higher in the short term, I can't sustain it. Right. Well, that's so smart of you because the majority of pop keys in my mind are just, they're always way too high. They're way too high. Mm. And, and, you know, for some of these people now, like you said, you know, these stars, they get out and they sing their one hit and then they're done. But for the musicians that are working three and four hour gigs, yeah, you got to maintain, you know, you have to maintain yourself from the beginning to hour one to hour four. And so if you blow it out at the beginning, you can't do that. I even find, I used to do that. I used to pick keys that were way too low for me. <laughs> and be, and I found out I was doing that because I was picking the key early in the morning. So I'd get up and I'd have my coffee. And even right now, my voice is lower than it will be later on tonight when I'm singing. Um, I pick these keys and then at 10 o'clock at night, I would wonder, why don't I have these low notes? And I thought, well, dummy, is because you weren't, <laughs> your voice was in a different place in the morning. So mm, it's amazing. amazing what it can fluctuate. But even songs now that are low in my range, lower in my range, I'll do them at the beginning of a gig because I know by the end of the gig, I don't have those notes as well as I would like. Or tunes that are more belty, I'll stay for later on because then I feel like if I kind of blow it out on this one, I'm okay because I'm towards the end of the gig. Hmm. So... So yeah, being smart about that's really good. I love that point. I, it is weird how you get out there. Sometimes I wonder if it's because it's, I've wondered if it's because it's, um, well, it's these, these songs that do get low at night at the bar. I can't sing them as well. And I guess it's because what you're talking about, but I had, had just thought it was the different room or something. Being up with the microphone, it doesn't come through as much, and it maybe I'm singing the same, but I can't hear it. Uh, yeah, the thing about it is that, yeah, I do. I mean, I think each person is different. You know, I definitely know my low notes and when the tunes that, that okay, this note is going to be low and I'm probably not going to have it. I'll have it later on, but it won't feel as good and it won't sound as good. Um, but I think another thing that's really difficult for singers is every single day is different for us. Every single day feels different, you know? Every single day, have we slept? Have we, do we have stress in our lives? Stress plays a lot on our, on our vocal folds. Sinus issues, 
drainage, allergies, you know, hormonal stuff that's going on. I mean, it's really the, the, the inner workings of the voice, every single thing affects it. So I, I've had some nights where I'm thinking, man, I really don't feel well today. I'm going to sound terrible tonight. And it's a better gig for me. And then I have some days where I do everything perfect and I get there, you know, perfect during the day and I'm working out and I'm drinking my water and I had my apple and then I get to the gig and I'm like, what's going on here? So it's, you know, I think it's having good, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? I think it's good to have a good methodology, but then be flexible in that methodology of what you're doing because every single situation is a little bit different and you have to adjust on the fly, you know? Well, um, I want to, I want to move to something else and I'd love to know what shows you've played that you're most proud of. Like what, what are your most, the highlight gigs of your life? And do you have any dream gigs? for the future? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the, I, well, I don't know. It's hard. <laughs> I don't want to upset anyone here. The symphony gigs to me are amazing. Being able to sing in front of a symphony of really incredible players is, that's wonderful because it is, it is what it is. Um, and just strings and a whole orchestra behind you. That's pretty special. I've really been grateful and honored to be able to do that. Um, for jazz gigs, I pretty much, I've had a couple gigs where the audience was just incredible, you know, where the audience was really great. Um, there was a gig in Illinois at a place that we played at quite a bit called the Iron Post, and, and we've had some pretty special gigs there. And that was just because of the, the energy of the audience. The audience was so wonderful, and it just it was just one of those nice nights where people were really listening and paying attention and enjoying it. Um, my last CD release at Blues Alley was pretty incredible. We just had a wonderful, wonderful crowd and, um, it was just a special, it was a special night. Things went well. I think we all know as musicians that every single gig is not perfect. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's always something that's not exactly the way you'd want it. Um, but then there's other things that go well, you know? So I think maybe those gigs were the gigs that, the majority of things went well, so it just felt good. Um, as far as gigs coming up, I don't know. I mean, I, I would just love to continue doing what I'm doing in as many different places as I can. I mean, there's always, you know, Sean's releasing his CD, and so he's trying to book some other gigs, so an out-of-town gig, so I think that'll be fun. Just trying to bring the music to different places and hopefully finding new and different audiences. Um, yeah, that's probably be about it. But, you know, it's interesting because maybe I should have more aspirations of greatness, but some of my favorite gigs are my local gigs that I do with musicians that I enjoy playing with. You know, I've had I've had some performances that I'm like, oh, this is going to be incredible, and I'm, oh, I've been waiting to do this, and then it's kind of like, meh. And then you have another local gig with, you know, a guy that you've been playing with for a long time, and you just have a really beautiful musical moment, and it's like, Okay, that was cool. You know, so I don't know, it's 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 hard. I just feel like I'm very lucky to get to do what I love to do and I I hope I hope the phone keeps ringing for a while. That's what I hope. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking I, I I would love to see a Darden Purcell YouTube live <laughs> oh thank you. you know it's funny i don't like a lot of live stuff i've never really done a live 
performance. We just had one in um, Pittsburgh, and I didn't even know it was being live streamed until uh, the when we were actually there. I it, live makes me nervous. It's kind of I, I don't want to know that it's live because <laughs> if it's live, I'll start overthinking it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not enjoying it as much. Um, but that that night when we heard it was live stream, we were all just kind of like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> Whatever's gonna come out, it's gonna come out. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you have any other questions, Aaron? Um, the, the last thing that I would, would ask is that when I get students in, and this has happened year after year after year, and I will ask a vocal student specifically, did you practice? And they will say, yes, I practiced. And my next question is always, how did you practice? And they always tell me, always, I sang along with the song and that is their practice. Um, what are your pointers for practice? How would you actually let um, a new singer in terms of letting them know what the, the a good routine is? I always tell them obviously to sing with the piano in terms of a, a vocalist, the number one thing for me, my recommendation would always be to have a piano at hand at any one point. That way you can match a pitch and getting this idea of what an interval really is. Because a lot of people, their sense of interval is different. Some people's is a, a little bit shorter. Some people is a little bit larger. <laughs> so they're a little bit out of key sometimes. Mm -hmm. So having that piano next to them and being able to sing a scale or just a series of notes is extremely important that you start to get that recognition what else would you kind of steer perspectives in? Right. Well, I agree with you about singing along with it. Singing along with or playing along with anything is great. And as soon as you take away that recording, though, it's not so great. Right. <laughs> you right. know, at least I, that's what I found in my life where it's like, oh, wow, I sound amazing singing along next to Shaka. And then I remove Shaka and it's a whole different ballgame. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's good for one respect, but when you remove it, you can hear yourself a lot more and you can hear your trouble spots mm -hmm. when you're singing or playing along with anyone you're, you're hearing what they're doing, which is good. Usually that's why you're singing along with them. So it kind of tends to mask, um, what, the the singer or the player should be hearing that they're actually doing right i agree with you 100 percent. piano is huge piano that's the, probably the one regret in my life i wish i'd started piano early on i couldn't start piano early on because we moved around a lot so weight allowances didn't allow for that and this was back in the 80s where you know digital keyboards were thousands of dollars and right. you know, huge so that was not um part of my upbringing for all my students now if they, well, luckily, and Joe, you know this, in the music school, we've got about two full years of keyboard skills. Everyone has to take to be able to learn how to play piano. I also have all the vocalists take, on top of the keyboard skills, they have to take lessons with Wade Beach, our piano instructor, to try to learn more jazz voicings. So they, at some point, can sit down at the piano and play through a song and sing along with it themselves. I think that's incredibly important. Um, yeah, piano, you're right, that's the big thing. They have to get out of this, they have to get out of headphones, they have to get into a practice room, they have to record themselves. Record themselves, just them singing with a piano or them singing with a backing track, you know, but not singing along with what they're trying to do. And then they can actually start to hear themselves 
performing and figuring out, okay, this area doesn't sound great. I need to work on this. Maybe it's a little too high in my range. Maybe something's going on there in my mix or my switching registers that's not quite working. Or this area is fine because it's in a part of my range that's, you know, strong and I don't really need to worry about that. But yeah, um, they need to they need to critically analyze themselves and they have to do it. They have to put themselves in a position where they can really hear themselves and hear what they're doing. Metronomes are huge too. I know for players pretty much on every single jury sheet that I write every single year, get with a metronome, play with a metronome, please. It's going to help your time, you know, because again, when you're singing along with something or playing along with something, everything is there for you. Everything is there. The time is there. Everything is there. You're just kind of going along with it. And when you remove all those elements, that's where you really start to think, you know. And I think also being honest about your practicing. Again, I, I don't think for singers especially, we're, we can't practice four hours a day. I would never tell my students, get in the practice room and sing four hours a day. They ruin their voice. But little increments is good too. Find 20 minutes here. Find 30 minutes here. Find an hour here. You know, it doesn't have to be at one time every single day if your schedule's flexible or fluctuating, you know. 30 minutes in the morning and maybe you find 40 minutes in the afternoon or something that works. Um, log sheets. I know this year, uh, I haven't done this before in the past. Sean has said that he's going to make his students this year fill out practice log sheets that he wants to see every single week. It's pretty obvious. We all know when a student comes in and they've worked on something, I can tell within like two seconds that they've gotten better because they've gotten better. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing I love about some of them. I'm like, who do you think you're fooling? It's like, it's, you're actually, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. You know, if you've gotten better, it's obvious you've gotten better. If you're struggling through something and within five minutes of working on it in the lesson, it gets better, then that shows that you haven't, you haven't practiced. So I think it's just being honest with yourself and really deciding, number one, I'm going to do this. And number two, I'm the only person who can do it. That's another thing too. I think sometimes people want, um, they want a quick fix sort of, you know, or they, they want it to be easy. And the fact of the matter is practicing is not easy. It's not, it's the grueling part of it. But if you don't do it, then, you know, it just doesn't work. It's about so. the journey, not the destination. That's right. <laughs> yeah, somebody showed there was a, there's a great like meme out there. I don't know if it's a poster or what it comes from, but it's, it's one of those things where it says, you know, um, the path to success and what people think it is. And it's like a straight line and what it actually is. And it's this jumbled, huge mess of lines. And I'm like, so true. It's not, it's not easy, but nothing worth it is. That's so. Well, I love practicing. It's my Good. favorite part of my life. <laughs> Good. I hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> I really have to force myself to sit down and work on stuff, you know, but it's good. I, in terms of, for me, when I first started taking voice lessons, I took a few before I took voice lessons with you. And the first thing the teacher did with me was breathing exercises. And then you immediately reinforced this. That was where I saw my largest improvement was just even at the beginning of each session, working on my breathing and then my singing was better the whole rest of the, the session. Right. Um, so do you have... Uh, breathing exercises and can you expand upon the lip trills a little bit more for our, our audience? Sure. Yeah. Well, for the breathing exercises, you just have to make sure they say, uh, you know, a lot of vocal coaches say breathe from your diaphragm, 
right? Which you can't breathe from your diaphragm. The only way that you can breathe and uh, take in air is through your lungs. But the diaphragm is a muscle that sits underneath the lungs. And so basically what every voice teacher out there is telling people is you need to take the deepest possible breath that you can and fill up your lung capacity as much as possible. The majority of the time, um, we take very shallow breaths when we're speaking because we're not thinking about, now I have to take a really good long breath and now I'm gonna speak until the breath runs out and now I'm gonna do it again. That is so weird and we <laughs> couldn't do it. So all day long, we're taking these little shallow breaths because we're speaking in these little fragments, shallow breaths. So it's kind of getting people to really figure out 99% of vocal issues, intonation issues, or is typically support issues. They just don't have enough breath support, right? Because it's the breath that creates the tone. And so if the breath is running out, then what's happening to the tone? The tone is um, being compromised, basically. So, and also I think the numbers are something like 95% of the world sings flat, only about 5% of the world sings sharp, which again is totally linked to breath support. So for some breathing exercises, I, I, I honestly, I have to say I was kind of lucky with breathing and I think it's, I swam competitively for 10 years. So I, my whole, my, the only sport that I ever did was swimming. And of course that, that being able like swimming a 50 length underwater with one breath, I think that taught me very early on. I learned quickly that I needed to take in a lot of breath in order to make this swimming. So I think for me, it comes very naturally just because of the swimming. Um, but I've done exercises where you can inhale for a count of four. Joe, I think we did this. You hold for a count of four and you exhale for a count of four. But And then you can go up incrementally up to like 24, 16 or 24. If you're doing it in counts of 16, that's really only four bars when you think about it. And a lot of the phrases that we sing in are four bar phrases. Two bar phrases or four bar phrases. The thing that's, um, that's hard about breathing that a lot of people don't think about is the consistency of breath from the beginning to the end. That's what's, and that's what that exercise is good for, especially in the early parts, you have to suck in that air very quickly and the count of four, then you have to expel it very quickly at the count of four. Same thing is true when you get to longer periods of time. If you're inhaling for 16 counts, you can't suck all the air in by count eight, and then you're not doing anything nine through 16. It's that continuous airflow. It's making sure that the airflow from the beginning to the end is always continuous. Um, and that especially goes with the exhaling because with the exhaling, that's where you're creating your tone. So, you know, you run out of air singing eight, eight beats into it and you've got another four beats to go. That's when people start going out of tune because they've run out of air and you can just hear them running out at the end. So um, that breathing exercise can be really, really helpful um, I think singing long tones, you know, a lot of horn players, um, they'll play long tones because, again, they're trying to strengthen the capacity of the air, their stamina. But for lip trills, you can do the same thing. So a lip trill is um, an exercise, is a warm-up exercise. I start all my, all my lessons with this, and it's just... So it's basically, you know, your, your lips are together, they're vibrating, and you're creating pitch and you're singing through them. The interesting thing about this, and the reason why lip trills are so good, is that instead of doing a ah, you have no resistance against that. With the lip trill, because your lips are closed, you now have a resistance. But even as you're going through the lip trill, even with that, when I was coming back down, again, I'm beginning to run out of breath. So now I'm really conscious about my breath at the end, because of course at the end is where everything 
um, starts to go flat. So lip trolls can be kind of good. You can make them longer, you can make them shorter. That was at eight counts and you saw that right at count eight, I'm beginning to kind of run out of air a little bit. So doing some exercises like that would be really good. Um, I, also, I always tell my students at the ends of lines, which I think kind of helps their breath support, um, is to release up. That's another reason why I don't like fall-offs, is because fall-offs, everything, um, what's the word I'm thinking about? Everything is just kind of falling off. The breath is falling off, the tone is falling off, the phrase is falling off, everything is just kind of falling off. But if you release up, if you think about it, you're releasing up, it keeps the intonation up, it keeps the energy up, and it gives, it just gives um, a listener a sense of, well, it's release, but it's not um, a lazy release. Does that kind of make sense? So sometimes with breath support issues, we can like sing a line with it and then we can really fall off at the end and then we really have to work the line and pull that last little bit of air in, in order to release up. And I think that kind of helps with the phrases because then all of a sudden people realize how much they're running out of air at the end. And if they can just conserve a little bit of air at the beginning of the phrase and then use that little bit of air at the end to kind of push up, that's why they have breath releases too. Uh, so for phrases that don't have consonants, you do a breath release at the end. That's you are literally releasing that breath at the end as a form of punctuation. But I think it also helps with um, the support, basically, just realizing, did I have enough support for that? Because if I didn't, then I have to work on that. Could you give us an example of releasing down versus releasing up? Sure. Let's see, what song should I do? Okay. Darn that dream. Did you hear that where it's kind of hmm, down a little bit? Now I'm going to release up. Darn that dream. Oh, yeah. You hear the difference a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It's subtle. Darn that dream. Darn that dream. It's it really subtle, does sound different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Okay, good. It's, but you, the, the pitch is just up a little bit. The release is up a little bit, you know, and that's why the mm, uh, that happens at the ends of phrases. Mm. It's a stylistic thing, but all it's doing is pulling it down. And then when it's pulling it down, what the singer has to do afterwards is they have to reset themselves to start up again. So it's kind of keeping everything level and lifted up. That way, when you're lifting up, then you're just kind of coming back down again for the next phrase and then lift up. I bet during oh, the that uh, work for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet during the uh, recording process, if you're recording a CD or anything like that, that all of that helps tremendously. Yes, yeah, it does, and it makes you extremely conscious of that was a good entrance, that was not a good entrance, that was a glottal attack, I didn't do well there. You know, yeah, it's because you got to think about that, and it's the breath. The breath does it all too. I'm also a very physical. You know, when I when I breathe as well, too, like so some people, you know, every voice teacher is a little bit different, but I, I really am working my core quite a bit um, and pulling. I, I always tell my student, you know, pull that stomach into the spine because I just for me, that's what has worked for me is, is like I said, going back to that vocal athlete thing. It's like you've got to have that strong core. You know, if you're in good shape as well, too, you're going to breathe better. You know, so doing certain exercises that are just kind of helping with the, the breath control that helps too. Not smoking. Smoking's bad. So 
talk about all this exercise, I keep on envisioning Gwen Stefani on stage doing like push ups and stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's got a pretty awesome core. So, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you have a lot of singers too that are just naturally great singers and they just, they've got huge breath support. They just kind of can, can do it naturally without even thinking about it, you know? Um, so that's, that's always helpful too. <laughs> this, this has been awesome. I love the, the actual getting into the details of, of vocal workouts and vocal training. Yeah. Um, I think amazing. this is for anybody who, was thinking like, oh, I don't need any vocal lessons. I think just seeing what actually goes on in a vocal lesson, having a, a, just a little bit of a, a look at some of the things might be enough to tweak people's interest and get them to actually act, you know, do something about their singing. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, I would I would love for as many people as possible to, to do this, you know? Um, I think it's important. And it's, to me, it's just like any type of workout. You know, just have to want to do it. It's very satisfying. Yeah. And singing just in general is very satisfying. And people, your general population, I find I could do the coolest thing I've ever done on the guitar, played the best guitar <laughs> solo or whatever. And people will be like, when are you going to sing? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I like I, I appreciate that you like singing, but I, I feel a little... Like you just, you know, didn't, you didn't appreciate what I spent the majority of my training. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I need to, I need to put more emph emphasis on singing. And I think that some of doing these breathing exercises would be helpful because they don't, I don't think that'll fatigue my voice as much. Yeah. I tend to, I tend to get done, you know, I'll have had three shows this weekend and then like Monday, I'm, I don't want to sing. I don't want to practice singing. I, f I feel like I need to rest my voice, but I feel like these breathing exercises might be a way to do something helpful without exhausting, you know, actually yeah. working the vocal cords. The lip trails will be really good for you. Yeah, lip trails are really good because they're a, they're a nice way to warm up without, you know, um, really warming up, you know. But three shows a weekend, that's a lot of shows, Joe. I mean, that's a lot of singing. And especially if it's four hours, that's a lot of singing. Yeah, usually so I, four. What? Usually three. But well, still, though, three hours, that's a long time to be singing, even if it's a couple breaks. You know, and the one thing that I do tell my students all the time is listen to your body. Listen to your body and trust your body if your body's telling you it's tired and worn out listen to it give it a break you know because once it's damaged it's hard to go back you know i i do play a lot of extended instrumental pieces because I, I couldn't i don't think i could sing the whole time i'd be exhausted yeah no i'll have, I'll have a three and a half hour duo gig tonight and by the end of it i'll be tired and I'll be with a, a great guitarist who'll solo and you know do all his stuff. But even after three and a half hours, yeah, I'll be I'll be worn out. Yeah. Well, we want to be respectful of your time, and I know it's it's Saturday, and um, it'll be a Thursday when this episode is released. But okay. um, it's been absolutely wonderful having you, and yeah. we would love to for you to put out put it out there your website and where people can find you and anything else that you want to plug, you know, George Mason University's jazz department, anything like that. 
Oh, thank you so much. I have had the best time talking with you both today. I'm so happy that we got to do this. And I'm happy that we got to reschedule it too, because I think the first time when we were doing it, it was a crazy busy time. So I'm so happy that we had more time to chat today, so. Yes. So what is, is your website, dardenpurcell.com? That's it. Mm -hmm. Can you spell it for everybody? Oh, sure. It's uh, Darden, D-A-R-D-E-N, Purcell, P as in Paul, U-R-C-E-L-L.com. Awesome. And um, let's see. Where can people find out more about the Mason Jazz Department? Uh, if they go to music.gmu.edu, and just search jazz studies. We'll have everything listed. Well, so, thank you thanks. so much, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on today. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, bye.